episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball for you as the Nats get ready to take on the Orioles' couple-of-day series at Nationals Park. We're going to discuss the last week of Nats baseball, including the continued development of C.J. Abrams, plus another promotion for a prospect who had a pretty strong season in the minor leagues. Some rule changes came to Major League Baseball that we've got thoughts on as well. All coming up on this episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball, which starts... Right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, producer Garris Dameron with you as the Nationals wind down their season coming off a sweep at the hands of the Phillies, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the day off on Monday. And now they host the Baltimore Orioles, a little two-gamer at Nats Park with the regional rivals. Then the Marlins are coming to town before the Nats hit the road to take on Atlanta. Danny, how you been? Very well, my friend. It's, uh, you know, we always talk about this, on, especially on this podcast, on our regular show, on Grant and Danny on 106.7 The Fan. Your fandom is your own. How you do it, how you consume it, I don't necessarily begrudge. I used to. I used to think there was a handbook, there was a right and wrong, you have to do things a certain way. This is your enjoyment, and however you find that enjoyment, you can, right? So right now, I'm I'm watching a guy that I wasn't sure. Is he a 4A outfielder? Is he somebody that you know is, is, a, is a fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder on a good team? I'm watching a guy in Lane Thomas, for example, get a lot of at-bats, and over his last 162 games is... Put up some pretty decent numbers uh, when, when it comes to it. A guy, guy kind of growing into his role, maybe making more of it uh, than he'd be able to if he were in a different organization. See what he was doing in St. Louis where he was passed over and was kind of an also-ran. That kind of stuff is fun for me, right? I, I'm enjoying it. Obviously, we've talked about Joey Manessis a bunch, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at anxiously at Twitter feeds, figuring out that Mackenzie Gore threw an inning and two-thirds the other day. I'm trying to find enjoyment out of this baseball season with the Nationals because I love baseball. I love the Nationals. I care so much about it, but I don't have the stakes that I'm used to here in September. So I'm, I'm trying to find some things, and you know we're mining a little bit, but I'm finding some good stuff to, to take back up to the surface and show a few gems. Yeah, for sure. You go back to the final game against the Phillies, some things that stand out to me. Uh, Joey Manessis, two more hits and two more batted in. You had a multi-hit game for C.J. Abrams as well. He was two for four. Uh, Il Demaro Vargas continued to give you some decent at-bats, scored a run, had a couple of hits, drove in a run as well. On the pitching side, Jordan Weems has really good stuff. Ideally, you can harness him into being an arm you could count on to give you a good inning at a time next year. He punched out a pair while walking a batter in his frame. We've seen the continuation of what I believe to be the length of this season and, and the changing roles maybe catching up to Kyle Finnegan a little bit, who gave up two hits and two more earned runs in that final game against Philadelphia. But I'll say this for the Nats. They're doing two things. Not every single night, but I would just say better than they were earlier in the year when they were at their worst. They are hitting more. Ten hits. Excuse me, 11 hits and the five runs against the Phillies in the 7-5 loss on Sunday. And they're also playing much better defense. I'll get to Abrams in a second, but he's making pretty much a spectacular play every couple of days at this point. He is, for the first time all season, giving them above-average play at shortstop. By moving Luis Garcia over to second, he's been able to take to that position and play well there. 
So it's it's been really exciting to see their defense improve immensely. Hildemaro Vargas, in my opinion, is an upgrade at third base with his glove over what they were getting out of Michael Franco, who booted a bunch of balls. I think in those two areas specifically, they've been better. And because your defense is better, it gives your pitching staff a chance to be better. Stealing an out or two here and there matters. You know, over the course of a game, sure, but over the course of a week or you know ten games or or the like, you're you're talking about a pitcher who's able to go an extra inning. You're talking about you know a run taken off the board, a, a base runner which comes around to score X percentage of the time. Those good defensive plays plus the routine ones that are now being made, it, it, it seems like a better clip. I don't have data in front of me to to sort of back that up, but it just feels that way watching the games. You're 100 right. I mean, it, it, it if you can't, I mean, what what Moneyball taught a lot of people was on base percentage. Well, the real point of Moneyball was wherever you can find a soft spot in the market to find value to build a baseball team, you do that. That's that's what's I, one of the great things I think about the sport is that you can be a team that, that hits a bunch of home runs and win a World Series. You can be a team that just makes contact or, or pitches well or plays great defense and with, with speed. There's a million ways to skin a cat. And if you can't excel in one area, the Nationals are not a home run hitting team in, in an era of the home run. They're not good at it. Okay, what can you be good at, right? You can be athletic. You can steal bags. To your point, you can have high strikeout guys. You can have pitch-to-contact guys. There's a million different ways to win baseball games, and not that they're winning at this moment, but you're 100% right. It's Whatever you hang your hat on, do that. So I just thought this was worth bringing up. It was kind of funny when I went to baseball reference. Juan Soto, still the leader on the team, obviously, in war for the year, not surprising. 3.8. And second on the team, Josh Bell, who got off to such a great start for them. 3.5 wins above replacement this year. Again, that is not a surprise. Both of those guys were traded to San Diego. I think what is kind of surprising is the list of names after that for the Nationals. And this is just indicative of how bad they've been at the big league level. But here is your top five right now in war for this team. This is B-War, baseball reference, uh, for the Nationals this season. Ildemaro Vargas, number one. worth 1.4 wins. Lane Thomas, number two, worth 1.4 wins. I guess Ildemaro's, by percentage points, edges him out. Erasmo Ramirez, third in war for this team at 1.3. Kbert Ruiz at 1.3 is fourth. And then Carl Edwards Jr., fifth at 1.2. Robles, probably primarily based on defense, Paolo Espino, Cesar Hernandez, and then Joey Manessis and Hunter Harvey. After that, your top 10 for the Nationals in war this season. Yikes. Kind of a, a statement, yeah. really, in the big picture about how bad things are. But some stunning names up there, to be honest with you. I would have lost all the money. Like, there's there's no amount that I wouldn't have I would have felt more. What am I trying to say? If you were like, bet a million dollars that this guy's top three in war. No, of course not. Give me my million. Well, you take and Soto and you. Bell out of the equation. Right. And you ask the biggest Nats fan on the planet who their leader is in war this year. I don't think anyone is saying Ildemaro Vargas. Members of the Vargas family wouldn't have said that. Like, that's rather stunning. And you're 100% right. Uh, kind, kind of the picture it paints. But then you start to do the math, and that checks out, right? I mean, no matter what Patrick Corbin does at the end of this season, it will not recover from, you know, his five months of baseball atrocity, right? I mean, it, it, Anibal Sanchez won't have time to accumulate anything, and, and the rest of the rotation certainly hasn't done enough. I mean, I would have thought Eric Fetty maybe squeezed a war point out of there, so I might have brought him up as somebody just because he's been able to take the ball every fifth day. But I don't know, man. You're 100% right, though. It, uh, just kind of the state of the union about where their big league club is, and it, it fits that you have the worst record of baseball. If that's your top, you know, the, the, your two best guys aren't there, and the next 10 are all, we need somebody. 
piece of laundry. Yeah, it's kind of a show. Uh, last calendar week, they've had a couple days off, so they've only played five games as a team over these seven days. But in the last week, uh, some of the guys that have been hot at the plate, Alex Call, who's getting a chance to play at the big league level, making the most of it, seven for 17 with a couple of home runs and six batted in. He has been fun to watch. A 412 average, 824 slug this week, a 1268 OPS. Has had a couple of really big games, a three for four to kick off the Philly series uh, with a home run. And that wasn't even his biggest game, you know, on that road trip that they just had. Because remember, right before his three for four, where he had six total bases, he was four for five with a couple of runs, a double and a home run. So he homered in back-to-back games while going seven for nine against the Cardinals and the Phillies. You know, that's going to lead to some positive feelings about the guy. But over his last 15, sitting over 300 with an OPS over 900, showing some power with three bolts, he's got some tools. I mean, I have no delusions of grandeur here. But look, let's be realistic and honest about this. I mean, this team has played Lane Thomas a million times since last season. It's not like a 27-year-old outfielder who's got some athleticism and a little bit of power might not be able to, to get at bats here moving forward. That's right. And again, it depends on what you want to be next year. You, you could spend and be okay, or you could just get your teeth kicked in for, for another season. There's some use to that guy, right? It seems like he's going to give you a decent at bat. You mentioned the tools. I feel like he can really run. I don't have you know any of the scouting grades in front of me on him, but it just he feels like he's very bouncy, very quick uh, up, up at the plate. You mentioned that huge game he had in St. Louis where – you know, I don't know how much power he'll ultimately pit for. That looked like a I'm feeling myself a little bit, so I'm gonna guess right, cheat on one and and you know, bury one of the left field stands. But in terms of, you know, how it plays to me, the athleticism and speed or something that says, Hey, this guy belongs. He could play a couple different positions, he could, you know, be somebody you like to have in the major league lineup, he could be a pinch runner here and there, you know, spell some of your regular starters. You could do a lot worse. Yeah, it's interesting. He's never really been a stolen base guy in the minor leagues. When you go back, he was 14 for 20 in 2016. He was 5 for 8 in 2017. He was 6 for 13 in 2018. And then the last couple of years in the minors in 2021, 15 for 20. This year did steal 90% of his bags successfully, but 9 out of 10. In the big leagues, he's got one career steal in 30 games. But you're right. You know, I, I stopped short of saying he's fast. But as an outfielder, you don't get drafted in the third round. Uh, he went to Ball State. At Ball State, I think. But you don't get drafted in the third round if if you can't move a little bit. So, yeah, he, he's – I think he checks some boxes. Again, I'm, I'm most interested maybe in the power. I mean, this is a guy who hit 13 homers in 75 games in the minor leagues this year, 15 homers at double and triple A last year and drove in 50, 12 homers in 2018. If you look at his minor league totals over six seasons, he's a career 350 on base guy with a 760 OPS. So he's had some offensive success. When I say I'm I'm intrigued, it's to figure out, like, is this a guy that could be on the bench for a first division team? Mm-hmm. Is this a major leaguer or a minor leaguer? Now, I have no delusions here that you're finding your left fielder of the future or anything like that, but he's had a really good week. Uh, Luke Voigt. We've had nothing but good things to say about him on this podcast. I just think he's been a pro during what is a really crappy situation for him. Eight for his last 20 with a homer over five games this week. Uh, he had an 11-28 OPS, walked three times while only striking out three times. It's good to see. I mean, he, he's going to be— You're a Luke Voigt mark, by the yeah, way. I, I say it every time. I'm a Luke Voigt guy. You're going to you see— You just like big—he's yes. not fat, but— 
like these hawking kind of almost like a bad baseball body swatters. That's what you you like dudes that hit bombs. I have a weakness for this. Whatever this is, like give me Richard Hidalgo on my roster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Give me give me Yuana Cespedes Nelson without the Cruz. attitude problems. Yes, I I See, I want... my weakness is more Corey Patterson, uh Luis Matos, Victor Robles. I get it. My weakness is unbelievably fast, tremendous defensive center fielder who probably can't hit enough. We we all have them. Everyone, and, and the most important thing is to acknowledge your weakness. I mean, I have them in all sports. Athletic power forwards in basketball, big receivers in football. I am obsessed. I will, I will always kind of give the benefit of the doubt and, and a little bit more grace to the, as you said, giant ogre-looking dude that may, may not be all cut up and trim, but is just here to hit home runs, man. He knows exactly who he is. He's not going to get cheated. He doesn't care if he air conditions the entire third base dugout and the left field line. He is here to hit the ball over the left field fence. And I, I have a soft spot for that. And he seems to be a good teammate, and he's beloved everywhere that he's been. So I am a Luke Voigt guy. But he's going to be the ultimate, you know, uh, what, what, what graphs? Not graph. What's the, you know, like the heart monitors where they go, doop. Dude, yeah, they're going yeah. up and down. Is it a stenograph? Yeah, maybe. Whatever that is. I think He's I gonna... just made that word up. Stenograph totally sounds right. Let's just go with it. Stenograph is a stenographer is a person in the courtroom whose job is to stuff. transcribe speech. So probably not that. Whatever the thing is in the hospital where it's like beep, uh, beep. what's the hospital? I'm typing it. Thing yep. that beeps. That beeps. Uh electronic vital sign monitor. Totally. He's that. He's going to be that. He's going to have weeks where he hits a few home runs. Then he's going to have weeks where he's 0 for 26. That's the same dude showing up at the ballpark every day. He's going to eat the postgame spread. He's going to take his same hacks. He's going to try to hit nukes and BP. Bless him. Speaking of my weakness, which is basically athletes, uh, C.J. Abrams, man. Six for his last 17 at the plate with a double this week over the last five games. That's a 353 average. Now, his average and his on-base are almost always the exact same because he just doesn't walk. Uh, because of that, his OPS, because he doesn't drive the ball a whole Paltry. lot, is not ever going to be high. And I don't mean ever, like, forever. I mean, this season, it's it's just not going to be high. But he's starting to turn a corner in a couple of areas here. First of all, you know, when he's making the routine plays, this is going to go really well in the field because he makes the spectacular plays. I'll get into the, the double play he turned that I was pulled up the video and showed you the other day. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. Stupid. Athletic play. But he's now in 24 games and about 87 at-bats with the Nats. He is hitting for a higher average here than he did in San Diego. He's up to 240. With his batting average, uh, he has driven in just six runs. No homers, obviously. OPS is 554, which is kind of gross. You, you need to drive the ball more in the middle infield, and maybe that is going to come. I think it will. But he's starting to make contact. He's routinely now, Danny, having games where, you know, it's it's a surprise kind of if he goes 0 for 5, right, when he, he doesn't use his speed to get on. If you just look at this last road trip, the Mets, the Cardinals, the Phillies, uh, through that road trip, he had a 2-for-4 against the Mets. Next night, 1-for-4. Next night, 4-for-5. Then he took an 0-for-3. Then he went 2-for-5. Then he went 1-for-4. Then he went 1-for-4. Then he went 2-for-4. That's what you want to see. You want to see him stringing hits together. Multi-hit games in 4 of 8. Base hits in 7 of 8. Yeah, he's he is making the adjustment. And some of it is, we talked about this before, his batting average on balls in play was comically and unsustainably low. Now, it wasn't that he was just hitting line drives and BBs all the time at people, but his sharp contact, he was making some unlucky outs, and somebody with the speed that he has, again, you hit a ground ball in the 5.5 hole, there's a great chance you're going to beat it out, right? If you make the shortstop backhand the baseball, you've got a 
really, really good shot uh, of being on first base. So those things were going to correct themselves, and they've started to. You, you touched on some of the numbers. But, again, we, we talked about this a lot. Like, he's never going to be a high walk rate guy. Like, Ricky Henderson, he is not, right? But he's going to have to hit his way on. And I think there's kind of this contract that pitchers and and hitters at this stage sort of informally enter into. What I mean is, no one's afraid of him jumping yard. So they're going, why wouldn't I challenge him? I'll take my chances that 75% of the time this ball in play is going to turn into an out. If I if it means I can go deeper in a ball game, if I can hump up and give my best stuff to to the two, three, four hitters, if he's leading off or if he's sitting at the back of the lineup, whatever, we sort of just say, let's get this thing over with quickly, you and I. And that's something I think that's going to happen for him. If you're not af- if people aren't afraid of you beating him with an extra base hit, driving the ball and sort of changing the game in that way. I think you're always going to have to hit your way on if you're somebody like that. And that's what his skill set is. I, I think his skill set is going to be bat on baseball. Don't try to do too much. I think you'll run into 10 to 12 home runs a year, play great defense, and and be an asset with your speed. I think there's a use for guys like that, even though it's not the typical what's happening right now with kind of middle infield spots, as you, as you touched on. But I think as we get as we do away with the shift, guys are going to have to be more true infielders than they've been over the last couple of years. Now it's all defensive positioning and scouting reports. Stand, you know, 30 feet into right field, deal with the, you know, top spin hook line drive from a lefty and just flip it to first. Guys are going to have to be better defensively, I think, going forward. So it might be more at a premium. I actually want to talk about that. And I don't know if right now is the time to do it or when, but I think that there's something to it. be said for that. Uh, we should get into some of the rule changes in a few minutes. But continuing on Abrams for a second. So he made the play of the week, and I don't mean that anecdotally. The shortstop earned his first career what is called the Electric Play of the Week Award presented by Chevrolet in Major League Baseball. Only Anthony Rendon in May of 2019 and Victor Robles in June of 2019 and in August of 2020, two times, are winners of this award in Nationals history, or at least since they've been doing it, I guess, since 2019 is a better way to say it. But it's not even the play you're thinking of. It's... C.J. Abrams, the night before the double play where he made the ridiculous play that he made, made a diving, stabbing stop to his right on a rocket, Mm. got up and threw to first. That was the play of the week honor. The next night, I think he made a play that's better than this one that got him the award. The next night where he, he got to a ball that most shortstops don't get to up the middle, then he made a crazy play to go get to the bag in a foot race. And while kind of reaching with his right foot, right foot planted on the bag made an accurate throw to first for a double play. But it was his diving stop the night before. I think it was Bohm hit a 100-plus mile-an-hour ball. He, in one motion, is you know at his chest, does a push-up, and then throws a rocket to first base. It was a one-hopper, kind of timed beautifully, like a one-hop by design almost, skips into Manessis. Uh, but the guy does it every night at this point. He's making a crazy play at short. Almost nightly. The athleticism. That's what this is. That's the dream, by the way. Right. I At mean, that position oh, defensively. God. I mean, the, the guys that I grew up with, I mean, it, you know, there was a there was a, a revolution kind of at shortstop. The, the Ripken revolution is what I call it, where guys were bigger, rangier, the A-Rods of the world, and Miguel Tejadas, even Derek Jeter, who wasn't muscle-bound, but was kind of a taller shortstop, right? But And everything was, was about being smooth and effortless. But the shortstops that I grew up with, the Ozzie Smiths of the world, that's like that. That's what Abrams is like oh, at, totally. at this point. The, the he should do a backflip every time he runs out to short. I, I guarantee you could. By the way, I mean that 
that play he made, the, the play of the week, the, the diving play is just reaction type stuff. You either have it or you don't. And 99.9 bar percent of the yeah. population does not, period, end of story. The play that you're talking about, though, where he goes up the middle, and Nats fans, I'm sure, saw it against Philly, the ability to get to it, so you eliminate now 97% of shortstops alive? Maybe? Yeah, I would say almost all of them 99? are getting to that. So, fine, now you get to it. But it wasn't that he got to it and then is able to flip it back across his body or do something else. To do everything that he did to get to that ball, not only then stop, but change direction. Almost like he's like doing an agility ladder. Not that he was sprinting full speed to his left to get the ball. So he stops on a dime and then already, you know, is kind of darting towards second base and basically makes a throw like my toddler makes, my four-year-old makes, where he doesn't understand that you step with your left foot to throw with your right. He goes right, right at the same time. Well, that's what that's where Abrams' feet were. In order to get to the bag, he had to reach with his right foot and then also throw because he throws with his right hand. So he's doing a right, right throw after getting to a ball that no one else gets to, after getting to a bag that nobody else would be able to get to. Like imagine a regular person doing that, a ligaments in left field, a tendons in right field, and you'd probably like collapse on yourself. <laughs> it's crazy. You'd have no chance. Did Unbelievable. Tony DeCavalier make that play ever? This is a bit for two, by the way. I'm to- I'm missing it. I'm to- I'm killing you. The guy that you always talk about on CBS. Oh, Tony DeCopel. Your- Tony DeCopel. Who's Tony DeCavalier? Who's I that? never know his name. Well, he played out. He played center field. Oh, I thought he was a shortstop. No. No. Oh, well, that was a bit just for me. So Danny played ball at George Washington in college. Tony DeCopel was on that mm-hmm. team at GW. Tony DeCopel is now he does something on CBS. CBS mornings. They just celebrated their I think one year um, as that. Specific cast and show with really? like Nate Burleson and Gail King and stuff. Oh, he's yeah. on with Nate B. Yeah. Oh, I he's, didn't even realize. Okay. He's, he's like he's like morning show well, guy. There so was like, like a time for a stretch of a few months where Danny, in like six different occasions, would mention. It wasn't that you were mentioning him out of the blue. He like a, there'd be a video or a picture. Yeah, like or something, something happened. On Twitter right. where we would see like CBS Morning Show, and Danny would just be like, "Dude, I played with that guy in college." Well, after two or three times, I kind of picked up that you played with him in college. You were able to retain the information, yeah. <laughs> so, and I over-mentioned it. But, like, no, it's but, so funny. It is hilarious that this guy you played with in college is now just an anchor on the morning yeah. show. Yeah, and, like, you know, he had a background as a writer and a journalist. He actually wrote a great book. Um, his it, He's open about this in his book. His dad uh, served a long time in federal prison for drug trafficking. Oh, wow. And just, you know, he didn't really know him all that well and was estranged because of it. And it's a great read. He's been a journalist. And all of a sudden, because he's handsome and has no body fat, they were like, hey, do you want to be on television hosting a morning show for lots of money? And, of course, he he does do that. But, I mean, this is the dude that would ask if you were done, like, before you took your first bite. So you could, like, pilfer food off of your plate. And How? that was the, He's so slender. I know. He had a, he still has a metabolism. But that's we, we made fun of him. We made up his character for him called Paul T. It doesn't make any sense, but. You had to be there. But Paul T was like, hey, man, are you finished with that sandwich? Like, even before you ate the sandwich. And now that guy's on, like, news. He's like, today in the stock market. Like, he's doing news voice all the time. Tony Copel, man. Yeah. I wish C.J. Abrams stole more bases. I don't know Same. why he doesn't run more. I don't really know what that's about. He's got three steals this year. Do you think, do you think they're putting the governors on him? I have no idea. I don't really get it. He should run almost every time he gets on base. Okay, he's out. So what? What are you going to do, lose? Exactly. See you later. Uh, but you mentioned some rule changes, and this is a good transition into yeah. that. Because I think the rule changes, if nothing else, are going to make for a lot more stolen bases in Major League Baseball next year. So let's get the easy one out of the way first. They're making the bases three inches bigger. Mm-hmm. 
Who cares? No one will notice on TV, but, you know, think of a bang-bang play. Yeah. It's easier to hold the bag if it's bigger of the run, of a runner. Based, you know, think about when guys are out now. It's, yeah, when some, when the tag beats them, they're out. But typically now, what happens on a stolen base, I would say typically, oftentimes, a guy steals the bag for 100-some-odd years, he's been safe. Well, now, a fraction of an inch is created between him and the bag. He doesn't hold it the whole time. They hold the tag down. You put the, the earphones on, and they go, well, he let, lost contact with the base. He's out. Now, it's going to be a little bit easier. I was talking to Corey Lee this week, who's a catcher in the Astros system at uh, Sugarland in PCL, uh, AAA level. And uh, he got called up to the big leagues and, and played in some games this year at the major league level. He got 12 games and about 25 at-bats with the best team in the American League. And he was telling me how when he got called up from the minors to the majors, it was so obvious how much smaller the bases were. He's like, if you're on field level walking around with your credential or whatever, you would totally notice that the bases are bigger. He said, but for the average fan, it's just not going to be a thing. But so whatever, that that separate that. If if it's safer, if there's less co- fewer collisions, that's all well and good. The other two, though, are the shift is being banned. And most notably, the electronic pitch clock is coming to baseball. So let's go pitch clock first. I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot more steals because with the pitch clock, presumably, is going to be the throwover rule, which means you can only throw over twice. If you throw over a third time, you're allowed to, but you must get the runner out which is such a low percentage chance that basically you're saying that you're not going to get the runner out and then it's a balk and they'd automatically be awarded the bag anyway. So because what I see in the minor leagues, and I've seen this a bunch this year, is if there's a couple of throws over to first, now I put a play on or I just start running or I just take a 25-foot lead, so you have to throw over. And if I have a 25-foot lead, it's curtains for you. I'm already getting that bag if I have any speed at all. So. This will be great for your C.J. Abrams types at the big league level, your Victor Robleses, if you will. I think you'll see more stolen bases next year than we've seen in a long, long time. So I think this is necessary. I think it's the right thing to do. Growing up, I wouldn't have. I do now, though. I mean, you, you see what sports are faced with. You see what television is faced with. You see what viewership is. You simply cannot have the downtime. It works in other sports. It works in the NFL. Between plays, there's 30, 40 seconds. We don't complain about that because we're still analyzing the play before. Now we're caught up. Play comes in, and you've got kind of the built-in drama. The baseball, where everybody's doing nothing, and then bats can go by where nothing happens, I think is uh, um, just it's not congruent with the way viewership is at this point. We just can't wait. It used to be the ultimate spectator sport. Between innings, you get your beer, you go to the bathroom, you sit back down. It's just not that way anymore. You're competing with too much. It simply has to speed up. Players are going to grouse about it. Hitters need to go through their 20-second routines of deep breath, flex this muscle, turn this way, adjust your batting glove. That's out. Pitchers who step off, work around the rosin bag, wipe this sweat off, touch this, touch that. That's out. Get the ball and throw it. I think that's essential. It's going to be uncomfortable, but... I think it's something that needs to happen. So my only concerns would be, and and you're talking now specific to the pitch clock itself, right? And my only issues are they did bump up the time given in the minor leagues versus what will be in the major leagues by a couple of seconds. So it'll be 20 seconds, I think, with a runner on and 17 or whatever with, with nobody on base or something similar to that. I, I don't ever want in a big spot, the drama between a pitcher who is empty in the tank and a star hitter who is enjoying the moment as the gladiator in the center of the arena, so to speak. 
to, to be taken away from by the clock. And I'll use two Nats as an example because this is you know a podcast with mostly Nats fans. Neither of them are still with the team. But if you have a Scherzer versus a Soto at bat in the eighth inning of a game in a big spot in September or something where Scherzer's empty in the tank and Soto's doing his shuffle, that's great drama. That's incredible television. Part of going to the game, part of falling in love with Soto or falling in love with Max, part of why you pay to see these guys is you want to see Scherzer walk around the mound with that luggage under his arm. You want to see Soto do his shuffle. I mean, these are real elements to these guys, the the fabric of the characters that they become, that they play on television, so to speak. So I don't want to take away from what you get from those players in big moments based on the clock. I also never want a inning or a, a run or a big spot determined by the clock. And if neither of those things happen ever, or or let's just say even if they happen very, very rarely, then fine. When I go to minor league games, I don't notice this very often. I, You know, I've seen balls assessed or strikes assessed, but it, it's very rarely in a huge spot. And I'm I'm not watching Scherzer. I'm not watching Soto. So it's fine. But I want Juan Soto to be himself. I want him to, to go through whatever routine he wants to. I want the at-bat to be dramatic and tense. And I want the buildup of tension. And so I do worry a little bit about that romanticism. And I know I'm a nerd. But I, I, I need that not affected. I, I hear that. And it's a very valid complaint. I don't know how to fix it. I don't, I'm not smart enough to know. I, I'd like to my, keep it my too. My guess is that you know, hopefully, it's not going to be overly affected. But I, I don't know. And I, the juice to me is worth the squeeze for the most part, but not if I'm losing that element. I hear you because that's great for for everyone watching. And that's the drama that that you need that you, those national baseball telecasts when you've got the marquee matchup. You you want that hitter versus pitcher drama in, in those huge moments. Maybe not in the you know top of the third. That's baseball. But like, that's, that's baseball. Mono, that's essential. Mono, that's yeah. like I'm standing here, and eventually you got to come to me. There, totally. There's no teammate that can help you. You can't run the other way. You're or both throw on to another totally. side of the field. You versus me eventually will wait all day if we have to. I'm with you. Uh, to me, and and I want to, and this brings me to shifts ultimately as well. What I want to address is these are, you know, you know when you get a cold. Now you don't get sick very often, but everyone else does. You get a cold when you take a pill. You're not treating the cold. You're treating some of the symptoms. The essential thing that is not being fixed here, when then, and and this is what leads me to shifts, and what leads me, uh, you know, to sort of address this pitch clock part of it is, Major League Baseball wants games to go faster, and they want more action, which is not quite, you know, uh, feeding out of the same trough. They can be in well, conflict. I don't think it's a time of game. They want more action. Well, they want the time of game to go down too, and that's what well, everybody yes, talks about. Yes, they would about. prefer that, but I, I think they would take games that are two minutes longer if there's eight more minutes of action. If there's action. I think, I, fair enough. To me, this is just a, these are just a couple of symptoms of the real issue. The real issue is pitching is too good. The real issue is guys throw too hard. The real issue is stuff is too nasty. Banning the shift, that's all well and good. What should have happened in eras before of baseball is if you put five guys on one side of the field, you could just, you know, Tony Gwynn a ground ball somewhere or bunt the... Uh, 
It's too hard to do that. It's too hard. And guys are not going to waste precious swings and precious moments of contact when it's harder than it's ever been to make contact on anything less than their A-hack. And they shouldn't because you don't get paid for, for a, 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 smacked, or a, a slapped ground ball in the 5.5 hole. You get paid for hitting it over the fence. And so these all these things that people say they want, well, also, they've now given said, up trying. It's hard to do. It's, it's I mean, beyond hard to do. These people, I love this, like, just hit it the other way. You go hit it the other way. Yeah, seriously. That dude's throwing 99, and he's got a wipeout slide piece. This isn't batting practice where I can just, okay, I'm taking one to left and center and right because some 67-year-old coach is throwing the ball 58. Yeah, there's there, there are a handful of dudes could do that. Like, each row in his prime can do that. How many of those do they make? You know, freaks of nature like that who, who can start running the first while they're swinging. Okay, but— so and none long of these... levered, you know, normally, like left-handed big-time pool power bats, the guys that are being shifted against for the most part, they're not like bat control. These aren't right. generally hit tool guys that are 300 hitter yeah. types. The same way Greg Maddox doesn't make it to the major leagues now because of what we're looking for in terms of, I say we, what teams are looking for. The same way, you know, uh, hit tool Harry, who's not going to hit for any power, didn't make it to the big leagues. You know, it's just, it's not that way anymore. So the central core issue is not solved. It's a couple band-aids here and there, but it's nice, I suppose, and and the shift has really adversely affected mo- more lefties than anybody else. I mean, you look at the number of tracer, line drive, pulled balls that are base hits for 150 years that are now outs. Okay, you know, that's that's benefiting guys like Juan Soto and company, and, and I think that's all well and good. But to me, it doesn't change the essential question and problem, and that is pitching is too good, velocity is too much, Breaking balls are too nasty. We know too much about pitching right now for hitters to do anything other than what they're doing. Well, to that point, so I was talking to someone who covers baseball really well recently, and they had talked to, I won't say who, because uh, I don't know that it was on the record or not, but but a super plugged in person on this, and a baseball person. And the idea that they had told them was, we're not convinced based on all the numbers that we've run that this is going to fix anything. Like everyone has come up with like this common sense idea that, you know, all these guys are hitting for a worse average because you see all the times where they hit it basically into the shift. But is that going to make a massive difference? Is it going to be negligible? Are there going to be more runs per game? I mean, they've run a lot of numbers on this and they're not convinced that's the case. Now, if batting averages go up, you know, because I, I don't care a lot about batting averages for individual players anymore. But from a, a collective, like of the league, if the batting average goes up X amount of points, that's a big, big deal. But, you know, there are other reasons why no one can hit. Look at the number of pitchers a guy like Juan Soto or Aaron Judge faces now in a season compared to what Ruth and Maris and Mantle and these guys faced. Babe Ruth would face the same dude five times in a game, right? Some sl- who's throwing 87 miles an hour <laughs> when he's maxing out in the first inning. And by the end of the game, he's down to Can 82. Can we say that on our podcast? I'm not Do we have sure. to bleep that? I don't know. I'll tell Darius to bleep it. Yeah, what to you? give him a time cue. <laughs> 82 miles an hour in the final inning, and it's like the fifth yeah, plate appearance. Totally. Now, it's still amazing what Babe Ruth did, but your point is 100% correct. It's... Every but, but metric makes it harder now. At the beginning of this yes. season, I remember a stat where he had it was something crazy like sixty at bats, thirty three pitchers or something. Totally, because pitchers were going to the start of this year without the the full spring training, like four innings at a time, three innings at a time. So he might get them twice. Then he was getting different reliever every single time. 
That's so much harder than facing the same uh, Ham and Egger, you know, five times, who in and of himself isn't as nasty. It's not even close. Again, stuff is better than it's ever been. Yes. We have engineered these pitchers in labs. And it's led, as a corollary, the guys that don't make it to more injuries than there's ever been before. Teenagers are getting Tommy John. I have a whole soapbox that I'm able to do. It's probably one off-season podcast where you can put the mic down and I'll I'll do my uh the way it used to be should play multiple sports. I'll do my old guy lecture and and ones of people will will listen to it. But we grow these dudes in a lab. So to me, if the stated goal is more balls in play and that means more action, this doesn't fix that. Now some of the balls that are already being hit, yes, they're you're, again especially lefties are being robbed of of you know a, a, a base hit every two or three games. I think that statistically will matter over the whole of 162 games. So the people that say it won't have any effect at all, I don't buy that. I don't think it's the effect that Major League Baseball thinks it's going to have. That's my assessment of it. it. It'll improve a couple things. So you'll well, see a I couple ticks it. up in batting average. To I hate me, it because you're dictating yeah. terms to teams. You're penalizing them for information. You know, this started with smart teams doing this, and then everyone followed. I don't like the precedent of telling the smart teams that they can't be smart. You know, that they can't use Intel analytics to, to, to give themselves the best chance possible. So I, I don't like it. Here's my big question on this. Okay. This was posed to me by someone at the minor league level. I've bounced this off a couple buddies of mine in the big leagues, and I've gotten mixed reviews on it. So I'm intrigued now officially. Do you think anybody takes their third outfielder, say your left fielder, and positions them where the second baseman stands now. So in other words, Bryce Harper or Joey Gallo is a great example. Joey Gallo's at the plate, the ultimate shift guy. You're, you're, the rules say you have to be toe, you know, uh, heels on the dirt, two on the each side. The insiders do. Exactly. There are no rules on alignment for outfield. Could you pull your left fielder and position them exactly where now in shallow right field the second baseman is that's taking so many of these hits away. Because the, the first thought is, well, that's genius. Why wouldn't you do that? But the problem is you are risking a double. A triple on a, a, on a pop-up. Well, yeah. Exactly. A triple if a guy doesn't have speed. If they do have speed, maybe a home run. You're, you're risking an extra bag doing that. And there's also something to be said. My buddy, actually, Kyle Gibson, who pitches for the Phillies, said this to me. I thought it was really smart. He said, if you look at the numbers, I, I would guarantee that on average, the guys who never pull the ball on the ground, or excuse me, never go the other way on the ground that you you shift for, almost all have a much higher percentage of fly balls the other way. And there's a reason for that. So you're, if, you're, if your bat gets beat, right, if you, you know, something gets in on you, if you're out in front, most of the times you're underneath the ball uh, when you're out in front, and, and that can lead to, you know, sort of squibbers or, or lazy fly balls that way. There's a million and one reasons for that, just the way bat paths work. So, yeah, but somebody's going to do that like in a clutch t- situation, right, where you got to cut the runoff at home or something to that effect, where they're going to dare a guy to try to get out of his swing and, and do something different. But I, I think it's a factor. So two things I wanted to bring up about this super quick. One person, one of my actually one of my old teammates, said here's why he does think the pitch clock actually matters toward, towards this discussion. Think about now the relievers that are so max effort, right, that are throwing 100. Everybody does. They're taking their time in between. They're gathering themselves, taking their 25, 30 seconds so they can hump up and, and go max effort. If you've got to hurry up and deliver the ball, th- that's going to take its toll on you a little bit more. That's a little bit harder to do that. So maybe that helps with ball and play a little bit. Want to get your take on that. The other thing, and this is my hot take con- controversial thing, I, I wouldn't do this necessarily, but if the stated goal is to put the ball in play, 
I'm lowering the mound. I'm moving the rubber back six inches. I do that today. If that's the goal, is the ball in play, I'm going to help the ball be in play. This other stuff to me is window dressing. Those are my two things that I want your want your opinion on. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I mean, that's. I don't want all of this extreme stuff necessarily. I'm kind of fine with where it's at. I mean, if we're if we have to make changes for more offense, um, I'm not tinkering with the mound yet because I need a lot more research on how that's going to affect arms. You know, moving the mound back. Guys have trained one way for a long time. Six inches, I don't think, would make a difference really anyway. Um, but if it's a foot, we saw them tinker with that in the minor leagues. The results weren't really different that I that I noticed. Um, but some guys did say f- from an arm standpoint that they fatigued quicker. Mm-hmm. One thing I did hear from a couple pitchers is, and I don't know if this is backed up by enough facts yet. They're still doing a lot of research. But that the pitch clock did affect a lot of relievers that mm-hmm. throw gas because they don't have as much recovery time between pitches. And so if you come in blowing cheddar, max effort, and you're 99, 99, 100, 101, 99, 99, you just think about it. If you're doing that every 10 or 11 seconds, as opposed to every 22 or it's 23 like People seconds, don't know the the, the, the explosion and exactly. the effort it takes, yeah. I mean, you just think about it in, in, in your own life, whatever the comp would be, right? If you, if you don't have 10 seconds more between reps, like how much quicker you might fatigue – that's been a real thing, and they think maybe it's leading to some arm issues. So I don't know if baseball has done enough research on any of this stuff is, is another problem I have. I'm, I'm not sure if their number one priority is always the health or if it's just, hey, let's try to make some things mm-hmm. happen that could lead to, to a more successful way of, of us kind of being viewed. Bang, zoom. Oh, we got a lot of stuff we'll have to dive into on the next pod but uh, final thoughts from you, Danny, on the Nats as they get ready to take on the Birds. Tale of two teams, right? You, if you're the Nationals, and I know a lot of fans don't want to hear this, but you can look at Baltimore as a pretty decent model. Now, it took Baltimore longer than I think Nats fans are would like, and I think that's fair to expect it to be pretty quick. But you look at the young talent that Baltimore has and how cutthroat they were. They had a guy named Trey Mancini, who's a really good player, who is very helpful, and they said, no, no, no. Even though we're we're successful this year right now, given where we were, we're not just going to give these guys a special taste of a pennant race at the expense of building our future. Everything is geared towards that future. So they spun them at the trade deadline. They got young pieces in spades. Great list of prospects that are coming up. And some of the young guys now are making a difference at the major league level. This is kind of a, a funhouse mirror of where you are right now. They were here a few years ago, losing 150 games, it seems like. Now they're a couple years ahead of the pace, and you can sort of look up at them and see this is what's possible in the not-too-distant future. couple of notes on the injury front. Luis Garcia dealing with that right side soreness. So he had the day off on Saturday, was preparing to play on Sunday, felt something with the day off on Monday. They shut him down to give him what would effectively be three days rest here because of the soreness that he was feeling. So uh, they were cautious with him. I uh, haven't seen the lineup yet. We're taping a, way ahead of tonight's game with the Orioles, so we'll have to get an update on how things are looking for him. You mentioned that Mackenzie Gore did have a rehab start. He was good. One and two-thirds scoreless innings for AAA Rochester going back a couple days ago. His first rehab start, 21 strikes, 36 pitches. You know, you would have liked to have seen him throw more strikes, but that's going to happen when you've not thrown in a little while. Um, Gore allowed two hits. Didn't record any strikeouts or walks. Uh, but the main thing was get him out there. Yeah, this let him is a throw. live bullpen. 
Exactly. Let's just let's see if this guy can come away with this thing without feeling anything. And the reports were that that was the case, that he felt fine afterwards. The club wants to get him to 75 pitches before he comes off the injured list. So I would think you go 36 to 50 and then maybe you jump 50 to 75 or you know, the only reason I say that you would make that big of a jump is there's not a lot of time. You're running out of time, yeah. If you want to get him to the big league. So maybe he makes a couple of more starts and then they have him pitch once at the major league level. Uh, the testicular contusion yeah. for Kbert Ruiz. I mean, you can't even say that without cringing. By That's the way, tough. he has what a tough SOB he is. Yeah. I'm not just saying this because he got hit in the huevos. I'm saying, like, it seems like every. Tenth at bat, he's catching something off the mask. He has been banged around. He's also seems like he's caught ninety percent of their games here over the I last know. couple of months. I mean, what that dude is tough as nails. I, I know I think that, we've seen him for the final time this season. They told him not to do anything for three weeks, and there's about a month left, and that's the end. Yeah, I will say, I, I know the numbers aren't jumping out at people, and I know I'm telling you, I love that dude. I am so glad he is here. That, that guy is going to pay dividends. Yeah, I, I still I'm really really excited and like him a whole lot. Uh, Israel Pineda though it's funny we talked about him we on did, the pod yeah. last week and I was saying what a year he's had and he's gone from A ball to Triple A and I think the point I had made was keep an eye on him next season you know he'll make his debut for the Nats and he'll be fun to track uh, and here he was in the major leagues over the weekend already because of the Ruiz uh, Ruiz injury went over three did walk and scored a run though uh, in his first game he struck out. Three times. So Israel Pineda, the 22-year-old right-handed catcher with some power who throws out 40-plus percent in his career in the minor leagues, getting an appearance. Good luck to the Fredericksburg Nationals. Postseason, man. Playing playoff baseball down in Fredericksburg. I'm going to try to sneak one of those games if I can. And uh, I think Jackson Rutledge getting the ball to start the first game. He is. He starts the first game today. Overall numbers haven't been great for him, but of late he's thrown the heck out of the ball. So that's fun. He's been better for sure. Still a little bit more inconsistent than I would prefer. I mean, look, he was a first-round pick a few years ago, and he's in in Fredericksburg. Not ideal. I would love to see him going out and throwing seven scoreless with nine punchies every time. Uh, It just he hadn't been able to put that together. But when he's good, he's really good, and that's kind of been the case. Uh, and I believe if you want to watch Harrisburg, let me read here because I'm seeing this on MILB.com, which is uh, Robert Hassel's affiliate for the Nationals. Saturday at 635 Eastern, they are going to be the free live game on MILB.com. Oh, nice. So if you wanted to watch Hassel on, and I'm using quotes here, TV, uh, you will have a chance to do that. Uh, they're playing against the Blue Jays affiliate, uh, the Fisher Cats who have Arelvis Martinez, who's a top 75 prospect in all of baseball. So might be worth checking out. All right. Thanks for listening to Bustin' Loose Baseball. For Darius and Danny, I'm Grant saying so long. We'll be back at it later in the week.